My name is Wade Davis. I'm a professor of anthropology at UBC and a writer. And uh, in my more perfect world, uh, we would finally realize that race is a social construct that has no biological meaning whatsoever, that we're all cut from the same genetic cloth, that we're all descendants of the same handful of people who walked out of Africa some 65,000 years ago. And every other culture, every culture is something to say, just as each deserves to be heard. No culture is a failure to be you. Every culture is a unique answer to a fundamental question. What does it mean to be human and alive? And when the peoples of the world answer that question, they do so in 7,000 different voices of humanity. And those answers become our, uh, our, our repertoire for dealing with the challenges that will confront us as a species in the coming centuries. The purpose of anthropology is to make the world safe for human differences. I'm Mark Young, and this is SCANA, a podcast about orcas, oceans, and the environment for fans of fact-based reality and reality-based facts. And for the next few episodes, it's also a podcast about the biggest threat to orcas, oceans, the environment, and facts. America's clown prince of COVID, the president gutting environmental laws and forcing the U.S. Center for Disease Control to rewrite reality, Donald Trump. And our guest this episode is a best-selling author, anthropologist, and explorer, Wade Davis, who rocked Rolling Stone with a viral article on COVID, Trump, and the end of the American era. For fishermen and freelance writers, the best stories are almost always the one that got away. I didn't get to tell Wade Davis this when we talked, but he was almost part of one of the best jobs I never had. When I was living in Toronto, I met some producers about writing the movie version of a book Davis wrote about the Amazon. I was shortlisted, and then I found out that if all went well, I'd get to accompany Davis and a film crew to the Amazon. That movie never happened. But in an alternate universe, I would have had the chance to meet Wade Davis in one of the most amazing places on the planet. For this interview, we talked on Zoom. And instead of talking about the Amazon, we talked about America. If you're an American, please check our show notes for information on how to vote. It's all over the internet. Vote. For all of our sakes, vote. And please vote for Biden. The rest of the world is counting on you because seriously, we're getting way too close to the part of the dystopian movie where Americans start fleeing to Canada. And while it isn't as cold here as you might think it is, we're not big enough to offer free maple syrup to everyone who voted Democrat. As always, Scan is brought to you by our pod at Patreon.com. So if you like what we're up to, please join our pod and sponsor us on Patreon.com. Scan is also brought to you by Orca Publishing, the publishers of my three new books about whales for younger readers. Orcas of the Sailor Sea, Big Whale, Small World, that's for babies, and Orcas Everywhere. You can find out more about the books, ebooks, audio versions on orcaseverywhere.com, and they're all for sale wherever you buy books. The audiobook is about to be released for orcaseverywhere.com. We're also doing a new podcast called Orca Bites. This is where we're going to be sharing words of wisdom from Scana guests like Wade Davis and David Suzuki, Alexandra Morton, and many, many more. 
If you check out Orcabites, we're inviting you to share your stories of the first time you saw a whale. And now, here's Wade Davis talking about his love letter to America, voting like you mean it, and the importance of optimism. Now, I have followed the responses to your Rolling Stone story, and I've, in preparation for this interview, I binged a ton of interviews with you, and every interview that I've read or heard took place prior to the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and prior to Donald Trump saying, yeah, I'm not sure I'll accept the results of an election. And all of these interviews, you had an element of hope, and I'm wondering where you're at now in in the world we're now dealing with, with Trump? Well, I think, you know, I, th I think, you know, um, I'm always off. Yeah, I, 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 I'm very, I'm always optimistic because I think pessimism is an indulgence and despair is an insult to the imagination, just like orthodoxy is the enemy of invention. But, but I think that um, one of the things that's come out of the Rolling Stone piece is an assignment to do a follow-up, a kind of roadmap of hope that will come out in January and, and possibly lead to a, 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 a documentary film series, a kind of a looking for America along the lines of Robert Frank's The Americans or Blue Highways or, or uh, um, Steinbeck's, um, one of his last books, Travels with Charlie. Um, it, the, the election is a crucible, but whatever happens in November, it won't mean the end of this incredible schism between the two halves of the American reality. And out of that election, even if um, Trump is resoundingly defeated, uh, there still will be the desperate need to heal the two halves of the American reality. Um, you know, I think, I, 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 be I believe very strongly in the American military. Uh, I think it's the one institution that, um, you know, Oddly enough, given that most military, uh, the military of most countries are sort of the a source of instability and and, and the place where uh, you know democratic or uh, governments are overthrown, I believe the U.S. military is the strongest anchor of American democracy at this time. It, it is it is an extraordinary service of incredible uh, uh, men and women. Uh, you know, we may not we may not like as Canadians or as citizens of the world the tasks that are sometimes given to that military, and surely the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan will be heralded through history as one of the great acts of folly um, in 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 the American uh, uh, in history of America. Um, but right now, the, the the military and 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 we've got some incredible candidates. Um, you know, going up against some of these Republicans uh, who come out, you know, Kelly in Arizona and McGrath in, in uh, Kentucky, who just might bring down some of these uh, most uh, extreme Republican uh, individuals. But the damage that, 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 uh, that Donald Trump has done will take generations to repair. Um, and, and I think the, the, the most haunting you know, again, he's come along not as a cause, but as a symptom of what was going on already. 
um, the, 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 the liberation of the truth to relativism, the, the, the idea that there is no truth, that you can have um, half the population believe the sky is blue and the other the sky is, is red, um, that, that, you know, that CNN can be as um, biased on its part as Fox News is on its side. The, the, the fact that mo most Americans today get their news actually from Facebook, where algorithms make sure that they only see the news they want to see uh, with, the, with the outcomes that they want to anticipate. I mean, there, there's a lot that America will have to do to come back together. Um, um, the, the return of the fairness doctrine, which people don't re realize the impact that that had. The fairness doctrine grew up in the early days of radio when the, uh, the government was asking who controls the airwaves. Well, you could own a radio station privately, but it was determined that the airwaves were collective property and they could be regulated. And if you wanted to have a radio station, you had to give both sides of the story. Well, Reagan eliminated that, which gave rise to the right-wing radio. The problem is the left tried to do with Air America its own form of right-wing demagoguery, but the left just doesn't do demagoguery that well. But the right does. And yeah, uh, universal health care. Again, universal health care is not about um, uh, uh, medicine as much as about solidarity and fairness. You know, it's interesting, Mark, you mentioned the emails that have poured in in the wake of this article. I haven't looked at many of them, but the ones I have seen tend to be either people who feel saddened by the, um, the piece. And I, and I have to go on record as saying nobody would prefer to be more wrong would more prefer to be wrong than myself in terms of the conclusions of that piece. If and when the torch of history passes to the Chinese in particular, with their treatment of minorities, uh, with their contempt for democracy, with their cobbling of, of freedom of the press, with their aggressive military expansion around the world, we will all be yearning for the best years of the American century. The end of America, the unraveling of America is no time to gloat. It's no time for celebration. We should always remember that the military and industrial might of America literally saved civilization uh, in the lifetime of my father, right? But, that's, but that said, um, uh, healthcare sends a message of fairness. Now, the other side of the, of, the, of the emails that came in, which were singularly vitriolic, hateful, personal, vulgar, um, even those who you could read between the lines as being somewhat educated people were just spitting profanities, um, terms I was described as nothing better than menstrual discharge. There was, in fact, a very, very strong theme of misogyny in all these negative um, um, co comments that initially surprised me, given that the article's got nothing really to say to a fault about women uh, in, in this, in this um, assessment. But I think what, what, what it revealed to me is whether we like it or not, as I said earlier, women in the generation have gone from the kitchen to the boardroom, people of color from the woodshed to the White House, gay people from the closet to the altar. Now, what, whether you like that or not, it's out of the bottle and the genie can't be put back into the bottle. Uh, it, it, but the challenge is, that, and, and the, the sociological transformation the, the, the shattering of the orthodoxy, it's almost like the equivalent of the sociological splitting of the atom. 
And it, 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 people have been asked, in other words, to absorb an awful lot of change awfully quickly. And I think for certain, uh, particularly white men with l less education, this all happened at the very same time that the jobs that gave them pride and identity and money to support a family were evaporating all around the country. And they were being asked to do night shifts in Walmart, humiliated men who once built tanks shelving cereal in Walmart, right? And I think in some strange way, those social movements about the rights of gay people, the rights of people of color, the rights of women, are conflated with this period of time when we lost our jobs, and it's all one miasma of madness, and hence the nostalgia for the 1950s and, and a world that never existed, but has to be assumed to have existed in America to rationalize their contempt for those social movements, their fears of the future, and, and their uncertainties about the present. And so I think, you know, that that has to be addressed by whoever wins the election. Trump will only continue to pour salt into those wounds because it serves his interests. But Biden will have to find a way to pull those things together. So what can we do? Universal health care, the end of tax evasions, a flat tax so the fat cats can't escape personal or corporate taxation. How about a Canadian model of gun control so we don't distort the Second Amendment to imply the personal right of an individual to have an arsenal of weaponry. I'm Canadian. I have six rifles, various calibers, and I have shotguns. Not one is registered with the government, but I don't use them to kill people. And, and I don't feel any tyranny if I am asked, as we were a few years ago, to register our hunting rifles. And I would never cross my mind to try to acquire a handgun or an automatic weapon designed to kill people. So it's not about guns. It's about, it's about the decision made to allow the, 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 the indulgence of the individual to buy whatever weapon he wants to trump the safety of children. 346 American kids have been killed in schools in the last decade, not to mention the teachers. We need fundamental electoral reform. You know, individual congressional elections in the United States can cost more than the federal election in all of Canada, right? We need, we need to legalize all drugs to liberate the prisons and reverse this hideous distortion whereby 13% of the world, of the American population, people of African descent, are 60% of inmates in federal penitentiaries. Destroy the criminal element profiting from this obscene war on drugs. Uh, you know, relieve the Colombian people, amongst other things. We should see immigration as a story of America, not a threat to America. Look how immigration has transformed Canada and almost completely for the better. Um, you know, exposing race as the, the, the cultural construct that it is that has no biological uh, meaning whatsoever. Um, you know, and what, what could alleviate the problems of America and give rise to a second American century is in fact the very vitality of the democratic dream that no totalitarian system like China can ever compete with or, or match. But it will never work if America remains the America of Donald Trump, who embodies every characteristic that we hope that our children will not 
um, manifest. We have to once again be the nation of Abraham Lincoln. Um, and, and maybe we could just consider the possibility of a, of a period of national service, two years out of high school, not a draft in the military necessarily, but the military could be one of the places you could go, but where every single American uh, was forced to work with Americans from another part of the country, where cities, kids from the cities met kids from the country, and they learned to put those damn selfie cameras away for a moment and take pictures not of self, metaphorically and literally, but rather engage the wonder and the needs of the other doing service for others, um, you know, transforming the landscape of America into a place of civic discourse and cooperation uh, and love, uh, as opposed to a bitter battleground of hatred. All of these things could happen, but it will take effort to make that happen. And there have been dark periods before in American history. America always swings between the wild extremes of the human heart and soul and spirit. Uh, and it's an extreme period right now. But in the early 1950s, it's hard to recall the hold that this vile troll of a man from Wisconsin, uh, Joseph McCarthy, had on the American people. Uh, even Eisenhower, the great hero of D-Day and the, 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 the great crusader that saved civilization in Europe, leading the Allied cause uh, for all those difficult years. Even he was afraid of this alcoholic, vile person from Wisconsin until one day, just in a moment, in the halls of Congress, a long forgotten senator, uh, whose party I can't even recall, said the words that popped the bubble of conceit. Have you no decency, sir? At long last, have you just no decency? And and months later, an alcohol-infused Joseph McCarthy was powerless and soon to be dead. You know, I don't think Americans are as polarized as the media would imply. One of the most um, uh, uh, problematic developments in the wake of the end of the Fairness Doctrine, but in general in the wake of the uh, explosion of, of, of television coverage, is the fact that, you know, when we grew up in the world of Walter, Walter Cronkite, there was a reason that that newsman was the most respected Amer man in America, because he was seen to be fair. He was the epitome, the personification, the embodiment of fairness. And at the time when he started, there was 15 minutes every night of national news. And the other two networks, uh, NBC and ABC picked up on the news thing. And before you knew it, they were competing and each had 30 minutes of the evening news. But before you know it, every local TV market has eight hours of local news because it's the cheapest thing to produce. And so you have to ask yourself, what happens in Bangor, Maine, or Augusta, Georgia, or in San Antonio, Texas, or in Walla Walla, Washington? that possibly warrants eight hours of news? And the answer is absolutely nothing. So the news channels are full of murder and bedlam. You know, we, we, we raise our children in an atmosphere of fear. We, we put their faces on, on milk cartons. I mean, do you realize how many children have actually been killed at Halloween and all of the history of that tradition? A grand total of two, and they were both off by their parents. 
I mean, we won't let our children do anything for fear of the, you know, I mean, because, so the point is that, that most Americans are not as polarized as the media would imply. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if, Amer let, let me put it this way. I, I can't, I'm no, pro, 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 I can't say what's going to happen, who can, uh, but I can say this. If Americans don't find, as Lincoln said, the better angel of their nature, if they're not able to find some path of forgiveness to embrace the others, people of other uh, backgrounds, economic, uh, social, educational, if they don't have any sense of a greater common good, uh, a nation to serve, and not just with flag-wrapped patriotism, but with something far more important, loving compassion and, and, and uh, kindness, uh, acts that resonate through eternity, as the Buddhists say, if they can't find their way back to that, then this really will be the end of the American era. You've, you hit a quote that has been going through my head over and over and over again the last few weeks, which was the McCarthy, have you no decency? And I feel like Trump, McConnell, Graham repeatedly answered that question with absolutely not. Well, well, they don't have any decency. I mean, these are these are people who, you know, I mean, they're 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 children of this system of 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 corruption. I mean, the the, the political process in the United States is so bizarrely swamped with money. Uh, you know, my brother-in-law was Jay Rockefeller, and he was the senator for many years from a, a relatively small state of West Virginia, where he he was a wonderful senator and did great things for the state and for the people. But you would have thought that a senator from a small state like West Virginia, with the last name of Rockefeller, if there was any politician anywhere who might have been able to escape um, the need to spend every waking hour raising funds for the next election, which in the case of a congressman occurs every two years, so you're barely elected when you're camp you're constantly campaigning, constantly raising money. Uh, you would have thought Jay, Jay might have been able to escape that, but he couldn't. To play in the game, to stay in the game, he had to be on the phone every weekend, every night, seeking funding to, 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 to hold his position that he might do good for the American people, and especially the people of West Virginia. He didn't want to be on the phone raising money. It was just what he had to do. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that is, is, has created a kind of a cesspool. Uh, and of which, you know, I mean, you know, it's a classic adage, you know, I mean, you know, a, a politician thinks of the next election, a statesman thinks of the next generation. And there haven't been very many statesmen in office in America in a long time. Um, but at the end of the day, it's clear that politicians follow, but they rarely lead or have the capability of leading. This is where the people have to lead their way out of the darkness, if you will. You know, writers and artists and poets and musicians uh, and those who really believe in the beauty of the American dream and the hopes of the American um, experiment. And I, I count myself very much as one of those individuals. You know, I, I want America to thrive for, for uh, uh, another century. And I just want that country to be the country of Walt Whitman, you know, and the Grateful Dead. Well, you I mean, you talk about Trump not being able to tell the truth. And I feel like the single truest thing he ever said was that he could shoot a man on Fifth Avenue and wouldn't lose a vote. He's had, I gather, the, the most stable popularity ratings. They've never been 
they, they seem to go between 35 well, and 43 and not drop. But, but, but again, but, but again, you have to understand the nature of his base. Um, you know, he, you know, I mean, the, 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 the thing about Trump's base is it doesn't change. Um, he's not, he's not, you know, he's, he, there's never been a, a, a president whose popularity rating has not increased in a time of national crisis in the COVID crisis, his, his, his rating dropped. I feel like he could say he started COVID and he would stay at 40%. Well, that's, that's right. Because, because the point is that that's exactly the issue that needs to be addressed. The 40% of Americans who feel so left out of what America has become and is becoming that they, they, that they simply don't believe what is in front of them, that the truth has lost all currency. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the internet's played a big role in this. I mean, the, the democratization of opinion, the anonymity of opinion, the viciousness of opinion, the absolute elimination of discretion and decorum and honor that led people to be civil in their, in their interactions in public at least, that has kind of evaporated. But the bottom line, the bottom line is if you want to bring that lower 40% of the electorate uh, into a place where they no longer feel isolated or hateful or full of contempt for uh, the others, um, you're gonna have to address their basic economic needs. Yes, some of them are independently wealthy successful Republican businessmen who vote for Trump cynically because he deregulates the, the economy, particularly in terms of environmental initiatives. You know, they vote, some people vote for him because, you know, they have a dream of, of, of uh, putting the, the genie of, um, of Roe versus Wade back in the bottle, which is never going to happen. Um, but some of them vote for him just because they're, they're fed up, you know, and they're fed up of being, being, being made fun of uh, in Hollywood television. They, they're, they're fed up of, of being seen as being ignorant people of the middle America. You know, they're fed up of, um, you know, uh, a world of politically correctness with language they don't even understand. Um, you know, the idea that a college kid is supposed to identify themselves by pronouns. I mean, what the hell? You know, I mean, every time we have one of those, um, uh, the politics of grievance, the politics of identity, the liberal kind of stuff that sweeps through the university systems and and it, it is all the most token of of initiatives because it doesn't ask of anybody anything except to indulge in the the, the, the token use of language you know um, you know every time you're, you're you're giving another vote to Trump. You know, and just in the same way that every every bar, everybody who breaks a window in a peaceful Black Lives Matters protest is giving a vote to Trump. I mean, you know, people have to think about that. And that's coming from someone who broke a lot of windows in protests against Vietnam when I was a less, um, uh, you know, a more a more rabid young man. But the bottom line is that you know, the, 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 there's a vast um, population out there that that doesn't buy into uh, the fact that uh, uh, um, you know um, the gender is the most important issue in America you know uh, so so you know th th there's fault on both sides and there has to be a coming together 
into a politics of common sense, what the Buddhists call the middle way. It's not rocket science. It's an environmental podcast. I, I want to make sure that I ask you just one thing about the environment. Uh, I, I was going to ask about Trump versus the environment, but I also want to ask something about rivers. So if I can get two more questions. Yeah, sure. Perfect. So you just touched on something that feels like the theme of this podcast, which is, can you talk about the impact Trump has had on the environment and that another term of Trump would have on the environment? Well, I mean, I think, you know, he's done everything he can to reverse every, um, uh, any bit of environmental legislation, but you know, the polls show that the American people are, are a hundred percent behind the clean water act, the clean air act. Look, I mean, you know, I did an environmental series years ago and, you know, Pittsburgh in, in, in the 1950s in LA, you know, you couldn't drive a car without headlights in the middle of the day in Pittsburgh, you know, uh, flights into LAX airport were diverted because of fog on a perfectly blue sky day. Uh, rivers in Cleveland were igniting in flames before the, uh, the birth of the EPA, which was brought into being, by the way, by Richard Nixon. Um, so yes, it, it's a temporary setback, but, it, but, but eventually, um, proper regulation will be put back into place. And, and uh, more importantly, uh, you know, you can't wish your way uh, uh, out of a, 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 you can't wish your way in to, 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 to reverse the flow of history. You know, coal is dead. And all the rhetoric and all the uh, 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 photo ops at coal mines won't begin to um, reverse what is a technical and scientific transformation as we tr begin to deal uh, seriously with climate change. I mean, uh, America's leadership um, has been reduced to mockery uh, by the American attitude towards uh, climate change. Um, uh, and, uh, but I mean, once Trump is out of office, all that can be readily reversed. I mean, I think the, you know, the, the, the deeper thing is that, you know, COVID has shown us that we're a biological beings on a living planet. Uh, we also saw the incredible recuperation of the planet, the, the, the canals in Venice, the rivers in Colombia, suddenly in cities like Medellin and you know, looking like trout streams, uh, wild boar in the streets of Barcelona, Cayman black darkening the beaches of, of Baja. Uh, flamingos in the wetlands of Mumbai, There's the cities of uh, the subcontinent uh, from Karachi to Kathmandu to Delhi, uh, being able to see for the first time in generations, the white summits of the Himalayas scoring the skyline to the north. I mean, hopefully some of this message has, has come through. Um, you know, my book, Magdalena River of Dreams, is all about the metaphor of a river that was not just the foundation of the country of Columbia, but Columbia itself is a gift of the river. And, you know, the, the rivers have an extraordinary capacity for regeneration. You know, the, the Rio Te River Thames in London in 1967 was declared biologically dead in every meaning of that term uh, by the Museum, the Museum of Natural History. Uh, today, there are 125 species of fish swimming up the Thames into London every day. Uh, you know, the Hudson was was so polluted that you could tell the the kind of car being made at the GM plant at Terrytown by the color of the river because of the paint being dumped into it. Now kids can swim in the river and and uh, 
um, and uh, you know fish and wildlife are returning to the river. So, you know, they, the weed will win in the, the end. When you know, whenever people get really uh, apocalyptic about the environment, I always remind them that if you think of the history of the Earth as a twenty-four hour clock, the entire history of our hominid lineage. I'm not saying Homo sapiens. I'm not saying even Homo erectus. I'm saying going right back to Homo afarensis 3.5 million years ago, the entire history of our hominid lineage uh, on a 24-hour clock of the history of the world would not occupy a second. So we are, we are candles in the wind. We are the dawn fading into the day. We are fleeting bits of dust in the wind, you know. Uh, uh, and, and the earth will endure, um, whether or not the conditions will be such that our immediate descendants will profit from their inheritance remains a, a matter of doubt. But, you know, I find myself very hopeful. Um, you know, Trump is an aberration. Uh, his movement is, is uh, an infection on the body of America. Um, the, the, the sheer depths of uh, evil uh, intent uh, and, and the, not even evil as much as banality, the banality of who this man is, uh, the harm that he has done to the country, the reputation of the presidency. When he is gone, people are going to wake up as if from a long national nightmare and realize just how vile this man really is. Uh, in terms of what his values, he has no values. Uh, he has no Christian values. He has no values that all of us were raised to, to believe our children should embrace. He has none of that. And I think he'll, I think he'll be a profound uh, lesson for America that you don't take your democracy lightly. You don't vote your grievances, indulging your own indignations. The vote is something more serious than that. It's a vote as to the destiny of your country. And if you really think the country has done better under Trump, we'll vote for him again. Uh, but I think mercifully, the vast majority of Americans, good and decent people, um, recognize that Trump has been uh, a disaster for the reputation and, and, and uh, in that sense, for the survival of uh, America as a global power and as inspiration to the world. Um, and but again, taking the long view, 50 years ago, just getting people to stop throwing garbage out of a car window was an environmental victory. Nobody spoke about the biosphere. Now that term is part of the vernacular of school children. You know, there's no country in the world that had a ministry of the environment 50 years ago. Now there's or 60 years, 70 years ago. Now there's not one that doesn't. You know, so that vision of the Earth from space that that electrified the world and show that we weren't an infinite horizon, but a finite orb floating in the, in the void of space. That has been matched in our lifetime by another journey into the fiber of our beings by geneticists who have shown that we are all interconnected, that life is one, uh, 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 that humanity is one continuity, uh, that the genetic endowment of humanity is a continuum, that we are all brothers and sisters, quite literally, that race is an utter fiction, a cultural construct. And that is something, of course, that anthropology has been saying and saying loudly for a very long time. Now, I just have to ask you this. 
you have done with your work on Magdalena, with your work on the Amazon, you have done more deep thinking on rivers than probably almost anyone else on the planet. Do you have any thoughts on rivers being granted personhood status, which has happened with some rivers? Oh, I think it's wonderful. It's happened in Colombia. It's happened in New Zealand. I mean, this is exactly what we have to do. Look, one of the one of the things that anthropology clearly teaches is that every culture is myopic, faithful to its own interpretation of reality. You know, the, the Greeks, you know, the word barbarian comes from the word barbarous. If you didn't speak Greek, you didn't exist. When Herodotus came back to Athens four centuries before uh, Christ and had the audacity to say something was kind of interesting that was happening over there in the Tigris Euphrates in the Persian Empire, uh, Plato wanted him banished from Athens for the audacity of insulting his own people by celebrating another. Uh, you know, most indigenous names translate the people, meaning the people over the hill are, are savages beyond the pale, right? Well, we can't afford that in a multicultural, pluralistic world. And, and you know, one of the things that Franz Boas taught us is that every culture is a product of its own history. You know, every, you know the other peoples of the world um, aren't failed attempts at being modern. Uh, the world in which you're born is just a model of reality, the consequence of one set of choices that your lineage made, however successfully, many generations ago. And the very existence of these other ways of thinking puts a lie to those of us in our own tradition who think that we can, cannot change as we know we all must change the fundamental way we interact with the natural world. Now look, we think because of our dominance that our way of thinking is the is the paragon of humanity's potential. We think we're the norm when we're the exception. We're the anomaly. The triumph of secular materialism may be the conceit of modernity, but its ubiquity doesn't imply that it's the norm. It's the anomaly. And it comes from a very specific place. In our Western tradition, to liberate ourselves intellectually from the tyranny of absolute faith, in the Renaissance and into the Enlightenment, we threw out all notions of myth, magic, and mysticism and metaphor, to the extent that Descartes said that all that existed was mind and material. And as Saul Bellow said, in time, science made it house cleaning of belief. And the idea that the, a mountain could be a deity or the flight of a bird could have meaning was ridiculed, right? And that, 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 that discipline gave us a scientific method that gave us great wonders from allopathic medicine to technology. But it also deanimated the world and it came to view the world as a stage set upon which only the human drama unfolds. And so a mountain isn't a deity, it's a pile of rock ready to be mined. A forest isn't the abode of Hukuk and the crooked beak of heaven, as the Kwakwakwak would maintain. The forest is just cellulose and bored feet. Now, it's not about who's right and who's wrong. You know, is a mountain a deity? Is it a pile of rock? It's that how the belief system metaphorically influences a society with profoundly different consequences for the ecological footprint. If you believe a forest is just cellulose and bored feet, you cut it down without thinking. And the truth is that viewing the world in that extractive way is exceptional. Almost every society I've ever been with on, on all, all continents uh, over, a, over a more than 50 year career of, of, of travel and, and, and scholarly research, um, into the realm of culture, uh, it based their relationship with the natural world on reciprocity. The simple idea that the earth owes us a living, but we in turn owe our fidelity to the earth. A very simple idea 
that is manifest in all kinds of ritual and spiritual ways, but more essentially with profoundly different consequences in terms of the ecological footprint of a people. You know, if we view plants and animals as just sort of props on our stage set of life, the Barasan and the Makuna in the Northwest Amazon um, celebrate the most cultural, profound cultural uh, in, in, intuition, which is the idea that plants and animals are only people in another dimension of reality. When the elder brothers, the Arawakos and the Wiwa and the, and the, uh, and the, and the um, Kogi, you know, say that their prayers maintain the cosmic balance of the world, they really mean it. They're being literal. And so, you know, we need to change the way that we view our place on the planet. You know, we are not apart from nature. We are uh, a part of nature. And if COVID isn't going to teach us that, COVID's going to teach us nothing. Fantastic. Thank you so much for answering that question. Thank you so much for doing all that you do. Okay, Mark. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Right. Thanks for plugging Magdalena. Absolutely. Okay. I, I, I wish we could have just talked about that, but it's a strange world right now. Well, we can also do another one, or you could just, you know, put a note, a link to the website or whatever for people. to. Oh, I'll put all sorts of links to Magdalena. I'd be very excited okay. to be sharing that. Thank Thanks you. Thanks very much, Mark. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again for checking out Scana during these surreal times. Scana is produced in Saanich, BC, traditional territories of the Wasanich, Songhees, and Esquimalt peoples. If you like the podcast and want to help us share more stories about orcas, oceans, ethics, and the environment more often, please join Scana's pod at patreon.com. Sponsors this episode include Darren Laren Young, Robert Anderson, Nancy Campbell, Simon McNair, Joan Watterson, Solomon Siegel, and Yosef Wask. Please subscribe to the podcast and our newsletter. Check out our show notes at scanna.org and our Scanna magazine on Medium, where we're doing stories on every single one of our guests. Please follow us on social media and share this show with your friends and share this episode with absolutely everyone. Scanna is produced by the always awesome Rain Benu, associate producer and audio engineer Isabella Almashi. And thanks to web wizard Katie Brown. We've also had all sorts of help behind the scenes from Liz Slick-Bellis, Maeve Milligan, Chantal Heward, and Brian Murphy. Scanna's theme, Scanna, is by Leah Abramson. We're ending off this episode with a song by Inuit musician Willie Thrasher. It's called Wolves Don't Live by the Rules. <laughs>